the Federal Reserve once again raising its key interest rate by three quarters of a point. The Fed's inflation fighting tactics are weighing on the housing market. It's more bad news if you're saving for a house. The housing market is being brought to its knees by the Federal Reserve. Yeah, mortgage rates just climbed for the sixth week in a row. I think, you know, the word pain, the, the, the Federal Reserve's preferred noun. And with Fed Chair Jay Powell saying today that, quote, there's still a long way to go. If you're Jay Powell, you're thinking, okay, when do I have an impact here? It's going to keep the Fed uh, on track for a 75 basis point move at the next meeting. It looks like the Fed's key rate will jump at least one more point before year's end. Good morning, it's Monday, and this is Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal. I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Cavanaugh. And today we are taking a wide-angle look at the housing market. So we're talking macroeconomics, looking at what is going on with the Fed's interest rate hikes and how it's impacting housing sales and prices. Yeah, we're about to throw some data at you, so... um, Buckle up. (laughs) Just be warned. (laughs) Um, So at the end of September, we saw this 75 basis point increase, which was the third such hike this year. And that's a pretty big deal. Typically, the Fed favors more conservative bumps. 25 basis points or so. Right. But at this point, Fed Chair Jerome Powell is just on a tear to tamp down inflation by any means possible. So he's raising rates by the fastest pace we've seen in decades because after six months of hikes, the consumer price index has barely budged. Right. It really hasn't. The most recent CPI report in August, which is basically a snapshot of the U.S. economy, showed the annual inflation rate clocked in at 8.3%. That's down just two-tenths of a percentage point from July. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get the next report this Thursday, and we'll have a better sense of whether Powell's attempts to bring inflation down are actually panning out. Some are speculating that the Fed chair has been a little too aggressive with hikes, so their worry is that he just isn't giving the monetary policy enough time to settle and see if it's working or not. The fear could be that the bumps might slow economic growth too fast, and in that case, we'd need an interest rate rollback. And in the meantime, the housing and rental markets are really just stuck in the middle. And just as Powell's interest rate rises have yet to tamp down inflation, they also haven't yet brought relief to tenants or would-be homebuyers. Rent growth is starting to slow, but not enough to cool down inflation numbers, and home prices haven't dipped all that much. Yeah, so if we're looking at the housing market and the rental market, there's all these juicy contradictions sort of brewing. But first, let's get into the news. So our October magazine issue dropped last week. The cover story breaks down Compass's fall from grace and its hope to save a plummeting stock price amid a very shaky market. The latest drama to come out of the Compass camp is that the brokerage may be a target of a private equity takeover. That was according to a report from Business Insider. But Compass has since denied that a sale is in the cards to TRD's Hatten Semtani, saying, quote, there have been no talks with private equity firms on this matter. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think Compass reports earnings in about a month. So that should be an indicator of where things are heading with them. Yeah. We'll definitely be following them. Teaser. So also in the magazine this month, uh, we looked at how Airbnbs are still flying under the radar in New York City. It is illegal to rent a unit for fewer than 30 days if there is not a permanent resident staying there, both by state and city laws. But if you look at Airbnb, say you're booking a flight to New York or something like that, you're going to find thousands of listings. In most cases, what a reporter found out is that the tenants and owners who list those units know that they're breaking the law. The thing is, there are just too many of them for the city to catch. It's just too hard. Right. I actually helped Nisha Shetty, a former reporting fellow for us, on that story. And an Airbnb host that she had contacted a couple of times for the story had actually blocked her on the platform and Mm. didn't respond to any of her questions. So it seemed like a really tough one to report. So I give Nisha a ton of kudos for, for that story. It was definitely, definitely tough. Absolutely. Yeah. Meanwhile, on the other side of the country, renters in Los Angeles will finally wave goodbye to pandemic eviction protections. The city of LA has had one of the longest eviction bans in the country. It's still going on today. But the LA City Council has officially voted to end its moratorium on February 1st of next year. The move will allow landlords, some of whom haven't received rent since the beginning of the pandemic, to start suing their tenants for those arrears. There's a bit of a catch, though, or we could characterize it as a trade-off, I guess. So the moratorium is ending, but at the same time the city is expanding its just cause eviction protections to all city renters. Before, they were only available to tenants in rent-stabilized apartments. It's probably going to spark a bit of jealousy among New York renters. So tenant advocates in New York had pushed to pass good cause this year, which is a similar law. Basically, if you're facing eviction, but your landlord has raised the rent by 3% or 1.5 times the inflation rate, you have a defense in housing court against that eviction. But the bid to pass that didn't gain enough traction in the state legislature, so it flopped this year. There is a shot of it passing next year. It seems like tenant groups are sort of rallying to push it through. But we'll have to see what shakes out in the next legislative session. That's in January. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the events in L.A. will influence New York at all. Mm -hmm. So as we all know pretty intimately by now, giant rent hikes have defined the rental landscape across the country this year. But now we're seeing more and more evidence that that growth is finally slowing. After the appraiser Jonathan Miller, he's someone that we've also had on the show before, released a report that New York City rents in August may have flatlined. Street Easy actually found that the median rent in September had dropped $75. And I know that that doesn't sound like much, but after months and months of record-breaking prices, it's certainly a shift. It's something. Exactly. It's meaningful. And what was also interesting was that concessions from landlords seemed to be ticking up too. Street Easy said landlords were more likely to offer concessions and discounted asking prices last month than they were in July. So both are early signals of a slowing market, and we're seeing the same thing nationally. A report by RealPage last week, RealPage's an analytics site, found that rental demand in the third quarter went negative. And what that means is there were more people moving out of their homes than there were moving in. 
That's a big deal for a number of reasons. Number one, the third quarter is usually the busiest of the year. It's July through September. People are moving. They're seizing on, you know, the warmer weather to move house, or maybe they have kids in school, or maybe they're students themselves, and they have that nice little break. Also, this quarter, the fact that it was negative demand, that was the first time in 30 years of data that we've seen that, which is remarkable. What the report found was that there were fewer move-ins, meaning that fewer households were being formed. So if you think back to right after vaccines rolled out, a bunch more households were being created because people who were living with roommates or who were at their parents' house were like, okay, there's COVID deals. I'm going to go ahead and get a one bedroom. That made more households. But over the past three months, people are not taking that leap, I guess we could say. They're just sort of buckling down. The report's author, Jay Parsons, really believes that people are delaying moves because they're worried about the future. Inflation hasn't cooled. A recession now seems imminent, even though no one seems to be able to define where the economy is going. And people are facing higher prices. And now with so many companies making layoffs, there's also the threat of you know, losing their job. So people aren't taking risks. Most people are entering this mode of let's wait and see. Yeah. And that folds really nicely into our housing market chat, actually. So there's slipping consumer sentiment around housing sales also, and the Fed is partially to blame. Fannie Mae has this index that registers how willing people are to buy or sell their home. And in August, that index fell for the sixth consecutive month. What it found is that sellers in particular are getting nervous about putting their house on the market because prices remain pretty high and mortgage rates just keep rising. And that is counterintuitive, right? The fact that prices are still so high. Because typically when mortgage rates rise, it drives down housing prices because there is less demand among prospective buyers. Fewer people are going out and actually obtaining mortgages. And that's just one of the contradictions I alluded to at the top. Basically, we are in uncharted waters, which is also what Redfin's chief economist, Daryl Fairweather, laid out in your chat with her last week. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, let's hear from one of our new sponsors. Industry Insights, the podcast from Wired Score that explores how technology is shaping the future of real estate. We're talking to some of the leading thinkers in the industry. Wired Score, the certification company dedicated to making the world's buildings smarter and better connected. Subscribe to the series wherever you get your podcasts. Daryl, thank you for coming on, number one. And I know that there's a lot to talk about with the housing market, but I wanted to start by touching on an op-ed you wrote in February for Barron's about how raising interest rates after keeping them really low for so long would actually push out first-time homeowners from the market. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when the Fed lowered interest rates during the pandemic, they were doing it at a time of really high economic uncertainty. So the only people who were in a financial position to take advantage of those record low mortgage rates are people who had a steady job, you know, they weren't being laid off or put on temporary leave during the pandemic. Um, they weren't worried about, you know, paying their rent or still paying their mortgage. They had so much money and savings that they could go buy a new house. And another thing on top of that during the pandemic that was unique was a lot of people were afraid to move. So the people who were moving were people who were in a financial position to buy their next home before they even sold their current home or gave up the lease on their home, people who could afford to float two housing payments at the same time. We saw a record increase in the number of second home purchases. Second home purchases doubled during the pandemic. So again, the kind of people buying homes are people who could afford two at the same time. And there was like this kind of gold rush of, of cheap debt that sent a lot of 
already affluent people into the housing market. Once the pandemic started to fade, people felt more comfortable, they were getting their jobs back, that's when the Fed started to raise interest rates. So the kind of person who maybe they were laid off from their job or they lost some income or um, they were taking on lots of extra debt to make up for a loss in income, they weren't getting the loans during the pandemic. And maybe now they're just getting back on their feet ready to buy a home and they're faced with these nearly 7% mortgage rates and home buying has become so much more expensive in just a matter of months uh, because of the Fed's actions. Now, like, there's not a lot the Fed could have done. They were trying to keep the housing market stable at a time of like really high economic uncertainty. But I think ex post, you can make the argument that they either lowered interest rates too low or kept them low for too long in a way that kind of perverted the economy and gave economic advantages to a group of people who really didn't need the advantage. And now people who are just getting back on their feet are overly penalized for this cheap debt that happened during the pandemic. One sentiment that I see a lot of discourse around is the idea that rates are still lower than they have been in the past. <laughs> you're, you're nodding. Well, it, <laughs> So my question is, what's different right now? Home prices are much higher than they were in the past. So when you're just looking at the monthly mortgage payment, that is higher than it was historically because we like fundamentally have a housing shortage compared to what we had in the past. So it's not really like, yes, this debt is cheap, but the price has gone up to compensate for that. And what really matters are those changes in mortgage rates, because when mortgage rates go down, it gives some people the opportunity to jump on them before prices react and they get the deal. And then when mortgage rates go up, you know, people start backing off because they can't afford the mortgage rate on those inflated home prices. Jumping off that answer, we've seen this very sharp rise in mortgage rates, and we haven't really seen that push down home prices. Can you talk about some of the reasons behind that? The main reason home prices have not fallen uh, more than they have is because homeowners are not listing their homes. Homeowners, are they were able to lock into record low mortgage rates earlier this year or last year. They gained record equity in 2021. And they were the kind of borrowers who were in a really good financial position to begin with. So even with interest rates going up now and the economy slowing down a bit now, they're not really feeling that pain. They can just stay put. They don't have to move. And then on top of that, if they were to move and buy like an exactly identical home down the street, it would cost them way more money. They're just better off staying put and keeping their mortgage rate than moving and trying to buy something else. So that has reduced the supply of homes on the market. Um, compared to what it would be if people were um, not having this lock-in effect. About 85% of homeowners have locked in a mortgage rate below 5%, and now mortgage rates are up to nearly 7%. So it's a, a large portion of homeowners who just don't have a motivation to move. So just a little bit ago, you mentioned a housing shortage. How is that playing into things, this lack of new supply on the market? Yes. So even when demand was off the charts during the pandemic, builders couldn't keep up with that demand. They were facing labor shortages, material shortages, and also like things they've always faced, like a lack of uh, zoning for dense housing and uh, you know property tax structures that don't incentivize building, and then also um, local neighborhood councils opposing new housing. So builders have always had a tough time, and then it was even tougher during the pandemic. So they couldn't build to meet the demand then. And now interest rates are high, so they're backing off the market because it costs them more money to finance these projects. And they also know there's not going to be as much demand for these homes anymore. Just the natural way the, that the home building industry works means that they can't meet the demand that's out there. And the demand that's out there is, is in excess of the number of homes that has been for a while. 
Freddie Mac estimated in 2020 that we're 3.8 million housing units short in this country. So what's happening now is really just about mortgage rates and what people are able to afford. And even when there's a slight decline in mortgage rates, like we saw a couple of weeks ago when mortgage rates went from like 6% to 5% temporarily, people came off the sidelines. There's a reservoir of buyers who are just waiting to buy a home as soon as they can afford it. So as soon as mortgage rates drop even by a little bit, we see that increase in demand to compensate for it. There are definitely savvy buyers out there who are waiting to lock in their mortgage rate. They like check the mortgage rate on a daily basis and call their lender on a daily basis to figure out like when is the right time to buy. And if they see the mortgage rate go up too high, they like literally can't afford it anymore. Maybe their lender like has calculated their debt to income ratio and has determined that they can't afford it when it's 7%, but they could afford it when it's 6%. So yeah, these little changes do really matter on the margin. This is a very theoretical question, but what would have to happen for home prices to dip? And do you see that happening anytime soon? If mortgage rates go up more, the home prices would dip faster or if they stay elevated. Um, I mean, mortgage rates are really volatile right now. So I think we're going to still see these like um, starts and stops to demand where, you know, one month mortgage applications are up or sorry, one week mortgage applications are up and the next week they're down and they're up again to match that volatility in rates. Uh, That volatility is really caused by uncertainty in the economy. The economy is just so like in the... I don't know any economist who has a good read on where the economy is headed. It's really just guesswork at this point because we've never been at this point before. And that's what's causing a lot of this volatility is that, you know, one day we'll get an inflation print that's high and the next day we'll get a jobs report that's low. And so the market just keeps bouncing around on what's going to happen. And that's why there is all this volatility. So I'm pretty confident that over time that volatility will go away because we'll just like know where we're at in terms of the economy post pandemic. But for now, it's like we're just looking into uh a sea of fog and like can't see where we're headed. I was wondering whether you thought the Fed would have to eventually pivot and suddenly, you know, start lowering interest rates. I've heard that idea being thrown around. Or do you see the hikes plateauing? The Fed is going to stick to their plan unless the data changes. I mean, they're definitely going to be data driven if they start to notice that inflation is uh, accelerating or not going down as much as they like, then they're going to get more hawkish and have um, faster and longer Uh, persistence in high rates. If they start to see that inflation is abating, then I think that they will slow down. They'll probably go from 50 point raises to 25 basis points. And then if they get even more good reads, then they'll go down to um, just keeping rates flat. And then if they see that they've overshot and that the economy enters into a recession, then at that point, they would actually like actively pull back. So um, it really just, it's, it's really hard for the Fed because they're working with lagged data. They're always looking in the rear view mirror and trying to figure out where they're going. Um, and that causes delays which could result in them steering us into a recession. But hopefully if that happens, it would be a mild recession. And one of the counterintuitive things is that if we did enter into a recession, the Fed did have to lower interest rates, that would jumpstart the housing market. Because like I said before, there are so many buyers out there who would want to buy a home if mortgage rates were lower. That reminds me, I heard you talk on a podcast recently about how during the pandemic, a lot of first time homeowners, home buyers were looking to buy fixer upper homes, which they saw as a good opportunity. They could put in a little bit of money and flip it for a profit within a couple months. You mentioned on the podcast how that has started to taper off a little bit, how it's not as economical as it was before. Well, one reason people, it's, it's, it's riskier to do flipping right now because home values, I mean, home prices are going down month over month. So there's a chance that you buy a home, put all this work into it, and you don't actually make any profit off of it because the value of homes has declined. 
Um, and also on top of that, you know, there's inflation. So you may uh, unexpectedly have to pay more to renovate the home in terms of materials or hiring contractors or whatever it may be. So it's a bit harder right now. I think that there, the good thing, though, is that there is um, a better supply of homes, especially those hard to sell homes that have issues with them. So if you do have the skill and the time and the know-how to do a fixer-upper, it, it can make sense. I think it's hard to do the flipping again because the prices are, are going down month over month. But if you're buying a home to fix up for you to live in long term, that that could be a good economic decision. So I wanted to jump into rents. Obviously, 2021 was a pretty extraordinary year for rent growth, up almost 40 percent in some places like Austin and Portland. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that June was the first month we actually saw rent growth slow. And I was wondering what you're seeing in the market right now. Rent growth is continuing to slow. It's uh, now only up 11% year over year, which is the smallest increase in a uh, year and down from the peak when rents were growing at 19% year over year in March. Uh, so it seems like at least rent inflation is slowing down, but probably not fast enough for the Fed to really take that as a strong signal. Another thing to know is that we're, when we look at rent growth, we're talking about asking rents, so rents that are currently on the market um, for apartments and homes to be moved into. Uh, which is different than like what the typical person pays in rent. Because if you've been in the same lease for a long time, your rent may not have changed, but then all of a sudden your lease is up and you have to go look on the market and you see that asking rents are up 11%. That's still like a big shock to you personally. Um, it doesn't feel like, you know, your rent growth has slowed down. It just feels like all of a sudden there's this huge shock and rent we have to pay more. Yeah. Anecdotally, I have heard people say, OK, I'm going to stay in my apartment because I'm scared I won't be able to find anything cheaper or my rent will be going up, you know, a thousand dollars if I move. Yes. Uh, the people who don't have to feel inflation so much in terms of rents or housing are the people who could just stay put. So is there anything else you want to emphasize? Is there anything else that you think, you know, a listener should should know right now? Just going back to the what I was talking about with uncertainty, one way that uncertainty in the economy is showing up is that there's a big spread between mortgage rates and the 10-year treasury yield, which is kind of unusual. Like usually those numbers are, are closer together. And I think that's one reason I'm, I feel confident that mortgage rates will come back down because once that uncertainty starts to go away, once we start to feel confident that the Fed has a handle on the economy, or we feel confident that inflation is a thing of the past, or like at least we know what the new normal looks like, that would cause um, that uncertainty to go away. And then mortgage rates should drop to be kind of closer to where tenure, to be, have a, a smaller gap between them and 10-year treasury yields. As always, Deconstruct airs every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe now. Next week, we're talking about real estate's favorite wild child, Adam Newman. Tune in then.